topic. It's called Crone Nation, uh, which grew out of Pat's desire to do just that, examine the different ways women and men act in relation to the world uh, as it is and to create the world we wish to see and make it real to others. So as Abigail Spinner McBride was saying, let the way be open, I say, let the way be open for this new normal, these new stories uh, that um, Pat is going to share with us tonight uh, in this concept, um, and which really um, resonates with me. Um, I, her and I are very much on the same track, I believe, because one of the things I've been talking about a lot for about a year or so now is reawakening our earliest sacred stories of the sacred feminine because a lot of that mythology, uh, the pre-patriarchal mythology particularly, um, actually does show us a new normal. Uh, they are the stories we should be telling. They should be at the center of society because we know these stories, these, these stories that we tell, they shape our society. They shape our culture. So uh, I, think, uh, I think Pat and I are most definitely in sync. But uh, if you are new to the show, um, I just uh, want to introduce myself a little bit to you. Uh, I'm your hostess, Karen Tate. Uh, it has been my great honor to be named one of the 13 most influential women in goddess spirituality, no doubt because of this show and its wide reach. Uh, also, um, I've been called uh, in Sage Woman Magazine um, with, uh, among other um, awesome women, uh, a wisdom keeper of the goddess spirituality movement. So I thank you, my dear listeners, uh, for your valuable time to be with me and my wonderful guests each week uh, as they uh, come here to share their wisdom, uh, because I believe as we do, as we put these new ideas uh, out into the universe, out into the cosmos, um, you know, it helps us uh, reimagine uh, the future because you know what? We have to be able to imagine it before we can manifest it. Yes, indeed. So uh, let me tell you uh, a little bit more about uh, Pat uh, before we uh, begin our chat here. Uh, I've already told you that she's uh, a writer and an artist. And um, She's worked for 40 years and as an expressive arts therapist. Her work is centered on activating creativity in all people as a form of self-transformation as well as political activism. Pat founded the Open Studio Project in Chicago, Illinois, and she's taught and lectured internationally. Uh, she lives in Ojai, California, which is not that far from me. She whiz, we should do lunch. Uh, and uh, she is exploring how fiction can shift the cultural narrative and help dismantle the patriarchy. Her current book, as I already mentioned, is called Crone Nation, and I love uh, what she did with the title. Crone Nation is C-R-O-N-A-T-I-O-N. Uh, it, it seeks to build a movement among older women to reclaim and activate their power for change in the world while having a joyous time of it. So, Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. I so appreciate your having me. Well, you know, I, I didn't. I, I read a lot of your material, but I didn't actually read that uh, that you're my neighbor in Ojai. I didn't. I didn't realize <laughs> that right. until just now. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, we'll have to like meet somewhere away. in the middle sometime and have lunch. <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. I uh, would love that. Okay, okay, very cool. So, um, so listen, let me let me start at the at the beginning with this. Um, you know, you've written this uh, this new book, uh, Crone Nation, and you know we want to uh, definitely make sure we let people um, you know know where the, to find it. And uh, it seems like a good enough time to uh, tell people that they can go to cronation.org uh, and find mm-hmm. out uh, more about it. Um, and uh, you also have your work as a arts therapist at another website called studio uh pardee p-a-r-d-e-s dot com studio p-a-r-d-e-s dot com that's right pardes which is the hebrew word for the garden of eden (laughs) oh i didn't know that okay very cool um so you know, I'm always interested in what inspires people to follow, you know, the, you know, to follow their passion. Uh, was there in, you know, was there one moment, Pat, that, uh, you know, really sort of set you on your path, or one, um, one incident, or one artist or author? Um, how did you begin down this road? Well, the road, um, the road of the expressive arts happened because I really couldn't imagine that I had enough ego to be an artist the way artists have to be in the world. I just didn't think I could, could do it. I mean, the amount of kind of the, the thick skin you need to have to sort of be in the world as an artist and also have the sensitivity to make real art, it was just not in my cards. So the idea of using art to help people kind of find their truth seemed much more um, a much more compatible path for me. Okay. Um, well, so but, you know, I have yeah, to say, you know, I, I think it takes a thick skin to do almost anything when you're visible out <laughs> in the world, you know, whether you're an author or a yes. radio show host or, uh, you, you know, I mean, you're, you make you know, you become, I, I hate to say a target for people, but you're sticking your neck out mm. there no matter what you really do. That's true, I, and I would agree with you, and I think it's probably um, a testament to that fact that it's taken me, that I probably started writing Cronation in, when I turned 40, and it's just out now, and I'm 63. So, yeah, so it took a long time for me to develop that skin. <laughs> okay, okay. So um, so tell us about Cronation. Um, is it, uh, you know, autobiographical in any sense? Is it, uh, is it fiction? Is it uh, sort of, you know, like a docudrama? How do you describe it? Well, it's definitely fiction, and I think it's fair to call it feminist speculative fiction if you want a really clear genre, which means simply that I've taken great liberties to retell certain parts of history, both my own and also the history of the world, I guess you would say. Um, So, for example, the story, um, a theme in the story is that when the civil rights movement in the United States kind of kind of lost its bearings in the maybe early 70s or so, that there was a there's a premise in the book that there was a group of women, primarily African-American women, who went kind of underground to channel a new vision because at that time, which was a formative time in my life, I was a young art student at that time. There was, um, you know, the government really began to interfere pretty dramatically with the various protest movements that were happening, both young people as well as the Black Panthers and many of the other movements. They were infiltrated heavily by government workers. And, you know, we all have, we have this story now, but at the time we didn't. Um, So, so one of the, the uh, speculative parts is what if there was a group of women 
who also didn't like the violence that was coming down and the patriarchalness of their own communities. But what if a group of African-American women were inspired to go underground and to really channel directly from the goddess a new way, a different way? Uh, so that's the, that's the speculative part. Um, and yet, at the same time, I feel there have been women of, of all backgrounds channeling a different vision since then and since before then, because we wouldn't have had a civil rights movement if there hadn't been women who were sitting down and registering people to vote, teaching them how to read and write so that they could register to vote. Um, were, you know, there was a huge feminist, uh, and I wouldn't have used that word, but there was a huge um, infrastructure of women behind the civil rights movement that largely goes unnoticed. And that's part of one of the themes that's, that's very strong in the book. That is true history. I have a lot of women that I recognize who really were the people behind the men who made history, but they were the ones that made it happen. And um, I think that that's a very significant theme. And with us having a, a woman candidate for president, I think some of those things can now be spoken in a way that they really couldn't before. Well, you know, you're making me think of that old saying that, you know, women were, you know, the power behind the throne. Uh, you know, we, we sort of do the quiet toil uh, yes. and uh, with, without, much, with, without much of the credit, but without that quiet toil, uh, you know, things just don't, uh, you know, things don't happen without laying that exactly. groundwork. Yeah, that's right. There's, yeah, it's, yes, it's 90% uh, daily, day in and day out, very, very simple work that needs to be done. And often it goes very much unrecognized. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, you're, you know, this, I, I'm also, you know, drawing connections to the, you know, people who were a little bit discouraged uh, from the Bernie Sanders camp uh, yes. because now they, they realize, okay, now it's on our shoulders. You know, mm -hmm. um, he, you know, he awakened the masses and of course he's still yes. going to go back to Congress and do what he can. But now mm -hmm. it's, you know, everybody taking personal responsibility to, do yes. that daily grind, uh, you know that uh, that that brings about change. And you know, here we yes. hoped it would have been something quicker. You know, a, you know, a, a real progressive in the White House, and uh, you know, and we could have had revolution overnight rather than you know having to do that to that toiling uh, day in and day out. Well, yeah, I think that's what you raise a really interesting question there because is it ever possible that something, I mean, I think we've seen examples from all over the, the globe of what happens when there is the revolution, but the toil hasn't been done to provide the, the actual um, alternative infrastructure for what's going to run things. Um, you know, an yeah. overnight revolution means tomorrow you have no internet. There's no radio show. There's no, you know, there, these things that we depend on, an overnight revolution has a tendency to wipe out. Um, so I think we, I think what it is, is kind of like pulling up our big girl pants and seeing it's the toil folks. That's what we have to do right now. And we can do it with joy and we can do it with love and we can support each other, but it really is the toil. It, it's not about having, um, there is no magical person who's going to fix anything for us. That just isn't, that isn't the case. And that is a really strong theme in Cronation. It's like, we're all doing something. We often can't even see what it is that we're doing. You know, for someone like you, it may be a little bit more apparent because you have a public role that you're really enacting on, as you said, for 10 years, that's a, an enormous amount of service. That's very visible. But for many of us, what we do on a day in and day out basis might seem invisible, but it's really 
if we're living in an open-hearted way and we're being authentic, that daily, those daily interactions that we have are what's building the foundation for something new. Right. Well, and and you know, and 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 this is all so so relevant. I think right now to be talking about. I, I mean, just Sunday I was given a talk at the Goddess Temple. You know, based on Rianne Eisler's writings uh, in her book, The mm-hmm. Power of Partnership, and it was about you know partnership with our local and global community, and it was about encouraging mm-hmm. people to do more than just sit you know on their sofa and hit the like button yes. or the unlike yes. or the dislike button. You know, on Facebook. They you actually have to get out there and, you know, register vote voters, you know, show up at protest marches, show up at peace marches, show up to vote, you know, do run for office, you know, uh, even at the mm-hmm. local level, you know, for school board or whatever. And, yeah. you know, it does. Um, I mean, even for me, you know, I, yeah, I might have a little bit of a, a you know, tiny little bit of a platform uh, to be able to to reach people, but even even for me, I kind of feel like if I go volunteer and sign up people to vote, it feels like such a drop in the ocean, you know. Um, so, yeah. so it's like you you really have to um, every day, I think, remind yourself of the big picture, you know, that uh, yeah. it is all those drops in the ocean that create the ocean and. Uh, um, you know, even if Bernie had made it into, uh, you know, into the White House, uh, I mean, I, I, he wasn't calling for the type of revolution that the Internet would have disappeared. But I think, uh, you know, the infrastructure with progressive down-ballot candidates, for instance, would not yet have been in place, you know, uh, yeah. you know to help him uh, pass legislation. Um, you know, so, I mean, but but the incrementalism, you know, but the incrementalism um, is um, is brutal in a way. You know, how long time it actually takes things to happen. Um, you know, and if you're someone who's uh, hanging on the edge, um, you know, something that takes five years or ten years, you could be dead, <laughs> um, well, you know, no by the question. time help no arrives. No, yeah. no question. Yeah. And, and that, that would lead me, I would like it if we could also then flip back to the idea of the stories, because I think that the incrementalism does, does feel daunting to a lot of people. Um, and, it, and it often feels like, you know, I, I mean, I was just, I spent last night uh, making calls on behalf of the Hillary campaign to voters in Nevada. And so, you know, it's a small thing to do, but when you're in a room with 20 other people doing it, it, it feels a little less um, daunting because you're connecting in one way or another. Yeah. But I think yeah. that. But I think that in addition to those small things that we must do on a daily basis, that there is this other piece, and this is the part that um, the greater part of Cronation, I think, which is the the mystery of story. That if we begin to tell stories about the world as we wish to see it, as the world we wish it to be for our children, our grandchildren, and everyone's children, then I think that we make it come into being. And one of the inspirations for this in a very peculiar way for me was Ayn Rand, the author of The Fountainhead and the author of uh, Atlas Shrugged, because she was a woman, a singular woman, who through her fiction was able to make an enormous impact on, we don't even realize how much the stories we have embedded in our minds in our culture are the stories that she wrote. And Oh, well, I mean, like Paul, 
the Republicans cite her all the time. Exactly. You know, and, yes. Yes. and here, here she was a woman at one point in her life was on welfare, you know. Um, well, she was so, also a woman who, yeah, but she brought something to this country at a time when it was critical. She was someone who had lived in Soviet Russia prior to socialism, prior to communism, and afterwards, and she had lived through it. And she came to this country at a time when she could say, capitalism is the only way. Anything else is terrible. And at a time with very impressionable men, and she also glorified the patriarchy. Essentially, from her point of view, the only people that mattered were the great industrialists, and everybody else was a taker, was essentially a Mm -hmm. leech on society. She had no concept of the idea of, of a larger community or of we each do a part and it's, you couldn't have industry without workers. You, you simply couldn't, but she was so damaged by her experience in the Soviet union and so glorified for that here. She spoke before Congress, this Russian Jew. I mean, it was kind of unbelievable um, because she had a point of view that was what people wanted to hear. Alan Greenspan, the former head of our you know, monetary system, was one of her accolades as a young man. This philosophy that only those who produce on that level, the CEOs, the industrialists, those are the only people that matter, is still something that infects our collective myth, and we haven't dismantled it. And that's why I feel telling coming to what are our, what are the true origin stories and you were mentioning them earlier what are our earliest memories of community what are our memories of the the sacred and the divine we have to reclaim those stories and we have to retell them now because those are the stories that will sustain us when we're doing the incremental work and i think it's really of critical importance at this time yeah, and I mean, sometimes, you know, when I'm out talking about goddess mythology, you know, uh, people will say, oh, you know, those stories we heard when we were uh, in grade school, how could those at all be relevant, you know? Um, well, mm-hmm. first of all, you know, we got to get past, okay, well, you know, let's not focus on the patriarchal versions, but, you know, I give them the example of the Garden and, Garden of Eden myth. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we're still trying to get out from under uh, yeah. the, the weight of, of that myth uh, mm-hmm. And you know, and just like you said, uh, you know, uh, Anne Rand. Um, so, so tell us about some of the stories uh, in Cronation that uh, will help us uh, create this new normal, Pat. Well, what I what I found was most interesting for myself was that I, I take as a premise that anything that is in the world out there lives in me as well, and so I was able to um, find a way through exploring these characters to find everything from truly like kind of contemporary goddess figures, as well as really angry uh, masculinized women, which I feel like those pieces, we can see them outside of ourselves, but we also need to see them inside of ourselves and kind of redeem them. So the story really has to do with looking at any narrative that we that we envision in the world or that we either, that either inspires us or completely devastates us and finding out where it lives in us so that we can shift it and change it. Certainly um, for me, becoming a grandmother has had a tremendous impact on that. I have two little grandsons. It's like, I don't want them to grow up in the world as it's made men uh, to this day. I would like them to grow up in a world where they can be far more fluid in their, in who they see themselves as where they can claim more. So when we tell these stories through our own lens, whatever that may be, 
uh, I feel like we get little pieces that we can bring to kind of the larger mosaic that we're all living. But some of it has to do with really seeing, you know, the Donald Trump that lives in me. There's a character in Carnation who um, is called Yang, and he is like yin yang. He is the embodiment of the entire male principle, and he knows in the book that he needs to die. And he can only really be, um, he can only be sort of like put down by men. And only we can, and men can only do that through changing those those attributes within themselves. And yet, we all have that in us. It's not just men, right? We all have those drives. We all have those desires for power. We all have ego. All of those things are things that we shift by retelling the story of who we are, um, and finding our meaning. I think through the kind of um, discovery of the sacred in the everyday. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I was, uh, you know, in, in, you know, going back to, you know, the myths, you know, because I sort of come at it from that perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved a little book. Uh, an, oh, it's an old book, uh, an old tiny little book that Carol Chris put out a while back uh, called mm-hmm. uh, The Lost, I think it's The Lost Stories of Ancient Greece. And, you know, she retells a lot of these goddess myths like Pandora and, you know, and, you know, and Pandora doesn't open the box and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, dump onto the world all these evils. <laughs> Instead, you know, she provides all of these wonderful things. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm wondering, you know, when you're, you know, with uh, incronation or when, you know, mm-hmm. as you sit there with your grandsons, um, give us maybe some examples of, of some of the new normal that, um, you know, that that's part of the new story that uh, we want to be telling so that we can uh, to manifest it in the world. Well, I think one of the critical elements, and this is certainly something um, I, I observe my daughter and son-in-law doing with my grandsons and, and try to do it with them as well, is truly making the space for the expression of emotional truth and reality as it's happening. So giving, helping, um, helping children learn, um, learn the words for their feelings, um, allowing each of us to express in the moment our vulnerability, our fears, um, our despair to each other, that, that having, making spaces for that to happen. And for me, uh, this does grow out of my expressive therapy work because I find that when we start with just the words or we start with just what's on the top of our mind, it's often very dark and there's not a lot of hope to it. But when we allow ourselves to engage with imagery, uh, the other parts of that come through. I, I feel it all the time, the, the, the true spirit of what's behind our feelings. Like if we are feeling despairing about the world, if we go into that a little deeper, we'll find that there is hope behind that. There's light behind that. It's going, as Jung said, we, we have to shine a light on the dark. It's not a matter of there's the only way to do it. We have to go through it. We can't banish it unless we go through it. So making a space for each of us to speak and hear our own emotional reality, I think, is really one of the key things. And in the book, that, that happens. The characters model that behavior, essentially, including, you know, uh, characters who, who do it mostly inside their heads because they're, not, they're afraid to do it sort of in real life. But then being in this community of women who have practiced this, 
you begin to see how characters can kind of soften and open to their emotional truth. And that's the way I want to live. That's the person I want to be in the world. I want to be able to make a space uh, for others to have a, a, the kindest kind inference offered to them about their emotional reality. Um, that we well, listen to each well, other and, with soft hearts. Well, and, and two things um, I, I'm thinking in terms of what you just said. The first is, um, you know, this idea that we can be vulnerable, we can express our emotions. Uh, well, that well, women do that more easily, you know, but for men to mm-hmm. be able to do that, that, that is certainly – uh, retelling the future in a different way, you know, yes. it's allowing men to be uh, to be different in the world than patriarchy yes. has uh, shown men how how uh, how to be. Uh, you know, denying their wholeness, you know, denying that nurturing, mm-hmm. compassionate side of themselves. But you know, but going over to Donald Trump, um, you know, you, when you said uh, about you know shedding light on things. You know, I'm of the mind, um, and and I don't know, maybe you've had some thoughts about this, uh, but this ugly that we see from Trump, you know, the scapegoating, Mm -hmm. the the hate mongering, you know, all of that, that the bigotry, all of that, you know, I, I am, I am of the mind that um, this is the transparency we need to look at this. You know, because uh, you just yeah. you, uh, the phrase you said before, and, and I can't remember it now. But uh, but how? But we can't fix things if we don't know they're broken. Um, you know, we yeah. can't uh, move past them and evolve beyond them if we don't take out the problems and look at them as well. You know. Yeah. Um, Do you remember the phrase the phrase you used? What was the phrase you used? Well, I um, might, it might have been something like shining light on the dark because it's just that's young. I, that's the only thing I remember saying that is related to that. But I but yes, we have to unpack these things, and we couldn't have. I mean, I, I constantly am fascinated. Uh, I see Donald Trump partly as a mirror, like kind of a distorting funhouse mirror of all of us. Everything he's saying lives in us. I mean, to some degree, mm-hmm. it just does. And to, to, to censor mm-hmm. him, um, I think, is highly questionable. The question of what, what is the right relationship to those unpleasant or difficult truths, I think, has to do with engaging them. Because yeah. behind the desire for a wall between the United States and Mexico is tremendous fear. And I really see him, honestly, as he is he is the living embodiment of the collapse of the patriarchal myth because you see yeah. it, we're seeing it every day. And, and I have great compassion for that. I really do. I mean, I sort of feel I thank him as a kind of almost like a, like a, an inadvertent trickster figure having blundered into <laughs> our midst to show us all the things that we're not, we're not really looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, Sunday, you know, part of the talk was, um, yeah, you know, sometimes it's kind of scary to see this underbelly of America Mm -hmm. surface. But if we if we shift how we look at it and don't come from a place of fear ourselves, if we look at it as, look, he is is prying back, you know, you know, he is doing us a service in a way. I mean, if if we can go that far. 
you know, he he is actually, um, you know, helping us to uh, expose the disease so that we can cure it. Um, and if we see it that way, you know, the the necessary transparency so that we can evolve into the next level, you know, so that, that you know, we can become a more evolved uh, humanity. Um, you know, I, I think that maybe takes the fear of Donald Trump away in a sense. I mean, not that yeah. we want him to, to be run in the country, but I, I but look, I know some women <laughs> who are so terribly afraid of them, uh, uh, you know, afraid of him that um, I think they almost need to hear the message because, um you know, they they just have an obsessive, uh, you know, an obsessive fear about him being, um, you know, being in power. They think it helps to see him in a different light, you know. I um, do, too. I think it helps sense. to see him. Yes, absolutely. I think it makes abundant sense. I mean, I, he reminds me very much of young boys that I worked with early in my therapy career who came from um, very difficult circumstances. And whenever they were... Um, whenever limits were set on them, which didn't typically happen in their homes, they would immediately start masturbating and screaming. And it was the most, I'm telling you, these are like five, six, seven-year-old boys. And my understanding of that at the time, I was a young art therapist. and was like, huh, what is this about? The feeling tone, though, was you're threatening my power. You're putting a limit on me, and I don't understand that. I don't know what that is. And we have not, as a culture, been willing to put – I mean, my, my feeling is, you know, to, to boil it down, we have not been willing to put a limit on the idea, and this is a cherished idea, that profit, no matter how you do it, profit is unassailable. It, is, it cannot be criticized. If you're doing something and you're making money, it is automatically good. And we have taken that to such an extreme in this country – and we're not willing to roll that back, I think, because in a very deep way, and this goes back to the kind of indoctrination that was going on back in the Anne Rand days, that the idea is that the only alternative to profit is somehow communism, and that's the end of the world as we know it. Neither of those <laughs> things are true, but they have not been unpacked. They have not been unpacked. Right. They have not been looked at. They have not, you know, the, the whole idea that there is truth in everything and you have to make uh, a collage of these things. It's not an either or. Um, it has yeah. never been done. We just aren't doing that. Well, yeah, and I, mean, I, think, I interviewed yeah. Richard Richard Wolf on the show, and he's a uh, he's mm-hmm. an economist, and he he actually spoke about how, um, uh, as an economist, um, you know, it was very difficult in college settings to talk about anything that uh, you know about any any of the benefits of other economic systems, but capitalism. Mm-hmm. If you if you wanted to have tenure, you couldn't talk about the benefits of democratic socialism or socialism or even, you know, what benefits there might be in Marxism or communism mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you just simply, simply wouldn't, it would not get tenure. So, you know, so right. what's the, what is, what's the, um, the outcome then, you know, people, you know, sort of buy into what you just said that it's either, uh, you know, predator, you know, capitalism and, and even in its run amok form, you know, of predator mm-hmm. capitalism or, uh, or, evil communism it's like there's nothing in between right. <laughs> you know exactly. this uh exactly. this, this yeah yeah um right and that is where we're we're kind of stuck in these crazy binaries that we need to unpack and make them more complicated we need to allow them to be more 
more subtle, more nuanced. And, and really, and that is where I feel like, and truly my expressive arts background comes in. It's like we need stories that are more complex and nuanced because that's the only way that we can truly appreciate that there are different facets of things. When you're handling art materials, like when you're making a collage, you begin to understand that putting together disparate images creates beauty. It doesn't create, you know, it's like you look at the chaos of, oh, I have all these pictures, what could I do? But when you put together disparate images, they create a much more complex beauty. And that's what we're missing because we're reducing everything to its like lowest common denominator. And that's the, that's the sign of a system that's running out of gas, literally as well as figuratively. So where where do you find the new stories though? I mean, how do you and and how do you have the courage to put the new stories forth uh, without uh, you know without people saying, oh, you know, what do you expect? Utopia or are you Pollyanna? <laughs> um, I mean, I know when I'm out there talking about partnership, people kind of look at me and sometimes they'll roll their eyes like, oh, sure, yeah, that's going to happen, you know. Um, but you right. have to start somewhere. You know, you, you, you have, have to, to start, start somewhere. somewhere. And, well, I mean, I took a page from Ayn Rand who says in the beginning of the Fountainhead, well, I think it's the Fountainhead, she says, artists create worlds and live in them. And so it's sort of like I took that truly, I took that very much to heart because I felt like we don't uh, typically create the world we want to see because we think those stories are boring. We think if there are car chases and there isn't an enemy that has to be vanquished, which to me is the, like that's the, the primary template. My biggest challenge in writing Cronation was there really isn't an enemy here. How is anybody going to want to read this story? Because there's not, it's not good being, you know, a good overcoming evil. It's more, it's a, it's a woman's story, which tends to be incremental change happening in unconventional ways that surprise us. It doesn't have the typical linear narrative of there's a protagonist, there's a hero, the hero prevails, and everyone lives happily ever after. And I've had some really interesting um, reactions to the book, including um, I, a woman uh, who said she didn't want to read it unless she knew, unless I could, or the person who gave her the book would tell her the ending because she was freaking out that the ending wasn't going <laughs> to be something that was okay. And I really think that it's, it's, you, we have to be willing to say the ending could surprise us, but it's not that all the ends are tied up. We're, can we live these stories um, that we, the, as we truly live? That's not how life is. We live stories, we're in confusion, we're in vulnerability, we're up one minute and down the next, and then we look out the window and see something beautiful. It's just, that's really what reality is like. It's not fighting dragons. Um, right, and we still would like it to be that way. It's not. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, as uh, God, you know, I don't get to read as much as as I would like, but oh, there's so much satisfaction with a happily ever ending, uh, ending, <laughs> happily ever after ending. But but like you said, that that's really just not life. You know, it's it's more like, well, you know, we don't know for sure what tomorrow is going to bring, but. Yeah. Uh, you know we're gonna do, we're gonna do everything possible to make tomorrow a good tomorrow. I, I, I 
mean, I well, when I when I. When I teach this writing class, one of the things I usually have, the, uh, you know, it, it, most of the time it tends to be more women. Anyway, I have women mm-hmm. say, re, you know, I say reimagine, reimagine the future, reimagine a sacred story, reimagine a Bible story. And one woman by the name of Maria rewrote what, um, uh, you know, how Super Bowl Sunday, you know, is, is so entrenched in, in our patriarchal oh, world. Oh, I do. She, she imagined instead of a Super Bowl Sunday that it was like a world art day, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and, you know, it, and it, it just uh, everything flowed forth. You know, I mean, it wasn't a day of violence. And, uh, I mean, there was so much beauty to it. And, of course, you know, uh, it might feel like an absurd thing that something like that could uh, take the place uh, at, in, at the heart of society, uh, you know, take the place of football. But that's kind of the thing I, I think you're talking about we have to do, um, um, yes. um, you know, write about the world we would like to live in. Well, yes, but at the same time, we also have to recognize, I think, and honor what went before and how it served us. Because Super Bowl Sunday, if it were in fact, I mean, I think it's become a corrupted um, narrative at this point. And, you know, every day there's another sports figure who's, you know, shown to have terrible feet of clay. But if we think about it as an alternative to actual war, you know, that originally was really the purpose of sport was to have these to satisfy those competitive urges in a in a safe way, then it's a story we need to honor before we set it aside. And that's another theme in Cronation. It's not about, you know, men have ruined the world and we have to save the world from the men or patriarchy or whatever. It's like these things have served us. Um, and they no longer serve us because their their vibration is too dense at this point. And so we need to go to something. I mean, we need to go to something with a higher vibration. And in order to do that, we do need to imagine what it is. Um, you spoke about, you know, giving people opportunities to rewrite these stories. When I teach uh, expressive arts therapists, I do the same thing. And I ask them to write an origin story, a fictional origin story of how they came into the work of doing expressive arts because the real work of doing it is so difficult in the world right now because of the healthcare system and many other obstacles, um, crushing college debt, all the things that we know are, are impeding people from doing this work. But I asked them to write a, a, a fictional origin story. And one of them that was written recently, which was really very quite, quite profound was a rewriting of the cave, the, the cave painting story. And in her, in this woman's story, you know, we all know about the caves, the, you know, the ancient caves in Altamira, Spain and in um, Lascaux, France and all these. We see, you know, the, the beginning of human uh, expressive art, right, with the handprints and the anim- beautiful animal drawings. But we, we understand them as having been done by hunters and that they had magical, um, you know, perhaps they had magical effect on, hun- on hunters and the actual hunt. This woman reimagined this as a child, a little girl, making these paintings essentially to glorify the world as she saw it. <laughs> and it was a, such a tiny shift, but such a beautiful shift. And we worked with these stories and then enacted them. And it was this beautiful story about the wisdom of children and the wisdom of women and the honoring that this was actually a sacramental honoring, which, which you could certainly see the hunting stories too, but it was like there was some, once it became put in the hands of a small child and a, 
a family setting, it became so much more accessible and real. There was something very thrilling about thinking of it that way. And that doesn't have to replace the other story. It has to add to it. Well, and you know, you're, you're, you've made me think about uh, the patriarchy of academia. I mean, you know, who yes. determined what those, exactly. uh, you know, who determined what those images were telling us? You know, uh, it's it's this this whole idea of, uh, you know, it, it 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 was these male archaeologists' interpretation. Um, so who's mm-hmm. to say what that uh, you know what what that woman came up with wasn't equally valid or even you know exactly. uh, part, partly true? It's just uh, you know that that's the story that comes down to us, and we just kind of accept it as truth. Exactly. Well, and I which, think when we don't re, re rehandle those stories and retell them, then they they become quite stale. Well, and, and well, let's let's go back to this idea of where does truth reside? Um, can <laughs> uh, you know the, the, one of your talking points? So, can story mm-hmm. uh, offer tr- offer truths that differ from facts? Why don't you speak to that a little bit? I believe I believe that they do, and that was one of the things that I really was um, that I learned in writing Cronation, which you know I have two books of nonfiction that are quite autobiographical and quite factual, but at the same time, fairly dramatic. You know, I write about my own art images, which certainly brings in metaphor and myth and all kinds of things. But what I found in writing fiction was that it freed the truth. It freed the truth to come through in a deep emotional way. So for example, when that uh, that woman wrote that story about the child making painted handprints on the inside of the cave wall and how the, how the community responded to that. And the, what, what, what we noticed, uh, the group of us who were working, which was probably 20, 20 people, was all women, which is not unusual, was that there was a felt sense, an emotional felt sense of elation, of joy, and that feeling of like, oh, yes, that feels true. Um, so I feel that, that uh, truth resides in story, and to reduce story to fact is a, is a mistake. Um, that how the story is told can be through metaphor, it can be through these imaginal ways, and that the way that we know that we're on the right track is when we have that, that felt sense in our body that, oh, yes, that's true. And how do we know it's true? It makes the room bigger. It makes the feeling of spaciousness <laughs> bigger. There's more room for everyone to breathe. And that's yeah. when, we, when we reduce it to facts, we foreclose possibility and we make the space small. As you were talking about academia, I did not get tenure in my academic career. And part of the reason was it was a system that foreclosed reality. It's like, this is the truth. This is the way we're telling it. This is the way we're doing it. You're either on board or you're not on board. And there wasn't a space for, for anything um, larger. And I have to say the moment that I felt that recently was truly when I listened to not just Hillary, but many of the democratic speeches, Bernie's included many of the speeches. I suddenly felt like I could breathe like, Oh, these ideas can be spoken in public now we they're not treated like these fringe ideas or these crack even and especially honestly when 
uh, when Hillary spoke about being a mother and a grandmother over and over, and many other people spoke about her that way, it felt like, oh, this is new. This is no longer being treated as a political liability. It's actually being connected with her capacity to do good in the world. And yeah. that, felt very, I, I, that felt really, really revolutionary to me, I have to say. Well, yeah, because the old truth is, um, you know, how does a woman, uh, you know, how can we trust a woman to be in charge with such, uh, uh, you know, with, with such responsibility? You know, a uh, woman's place mm-hmm. is in the home kind of a thing. Um, no, I, right. I totally get that. And, and, and I'm also thinking about this idea of, you know, history uh, mm-hmm. is written by the conquerors. And, you know, you look right. at the, you know, our traditional history versus, for instance, say, a Howard Zinn's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yes. history, you know, written by not the conquerors, but, uh, uh, you know, but the people who are conquered, you know, the people who are marginalized. You know, you get a whole different truth you know you get a whole different uh set of facts don't you You exactly Uh, yes you do and many more people were are living those those home-based truths than are living the heroic truth of the conqueror many many more people are living the truth of where how do i get my daily bread now how do i um you know, how do I care for my family under these conditions? How, I mean, many more people are, that is the bigger truth, but the fact that it isn't given voice reduces our, uh, our idea of what's important. And, and I really do think that that sense of spaciousness, both inside of us and then in the world, is what allows us to take action and make things better. I really do. I think we, um, you know, if you watch the news, I don't know how, I can't. I haven't watched the news in 40 years. I can read a newspaper, but like, it forecloses possibility to the point of, you know, you, you feel quite helpless. So, so two things. Let me say uh, this: this expansion that you talked about in the room, uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, when I had women rewrite the Garden of Eden myth, and suddenly mm. they brought in the the empowerment of women and sacred blood, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, it's mm-hmm. wonderful to eat from the tree of knowledge. Um, I mean, what? if if I mean, I, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering the effect it yes. had on these women. To to tell and speak this story, it liberates. Yes. What you just said about, you know, we can't watch the news, um, you know, because of the effect it has on us. You know, this is a form of oppression. This is intentional, if you ask me. You know, I don't I don't think it's just a, a byproduct or a side effect. I think it's intended to keep us all small, to keep us all mm-hmm. uh, marginalized, you know, to keep us from expanding and, um, you know, breaking, you know, breaking the paradigm, breaking the patriarchy, breaking capitalism, all the things that exploit and oppress us. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, yeah. So no, I can I, see. I, exactly. So, so yeah, this can become a very, a very political thing. I mean, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, just, just as the stories held us down, um, you know, the stories can set us free. You know, I, I, I exactly. get so angry sometimes, you know, when you think about so many of the religious stories, sometimes the message uh-huh. is, oh, it's, it, it's so noble to suffer and sacrifice. Oh. Screw that. <laughs> 
You know, Absolutely. I mean, I'm saying I'm through you. that because <laughs> isn't that the perfect, isn't that the perfect strategy for the oppressor to tell the people he wants to oppress there's nobility and suffering and sacrifice? I, I'm saying, Absolutely. wait, I'm not a masochist. <laughs> you know, right. I, no, you I, know I, I, I'm completely I, with you. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean that's not the world Absolutely. I want to live in. I, I no, want to live in the world where where they say, okay, what about your quality of life? You know, yes. your quality of life is important. You don't, you know, don't take uh, take pride in your suffering and your sacrifice. I mean, because that's not yes. to say um, let's be selfish. You know, but we still no. have to take care of ourselves. You know, it's it's like the yeah. um, oxygen mask on ourselves first thing, or else you can't do anything for anyone else. Absolutely, absolutely. And those stories, I mean, we they're quite insidious in some ways. And if you think about the images that they hold forth for us, um, you know, I grew up in the Catholic religion, and believe me, I the the vision the the only art I saw in my childhood truly were pictures of suffering saints. I mean, that was really what was offered as beauty. That was what was offered mm-hmm. as meaning. Um, and it took me until my adult life and uh, a conversion to Judaism, which some people saw as, uh, you know, jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. But <laughs> it, it, at least it's a faith that commands you to retell the stories. Um, that's part of the deal. You know, not in Catholicism. You memorize the story and that's it. But in Judaism, you really are meant, and that's another theme in Cronation. There are, there's a, the, the idea that there is, uh, there is, a command truly to retell the stories, to remake them in, in our own time so that they serve us and so that they liberate us because new energy is coming in. And if we don't kind of, if we don't allow that to fill the stories, the stories can't serve us anymore. They just can't because as you say, they've been co-opted to keep us in a certain place. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I, like, for instance, I mean, uh, I've never researched this, uh, but I'm sure it must be out there. Um, I mean, just take, for instance, you know, all the different ways um, women are oppressed, whether we're talking about female genital mutilation, whether we're talking about, um, you know, in some of these religious uh, groups where, you know, the woman has to be, you know, submit to her husband, you know, the stories mm-hmm. that they must tell these women to go along with this type of uh, abuse and misuse um, yeah I mean god we have so much retelling don't we we have so much retelling to do we really do Um, we do we do we do yeah Um, because because, uh, I I don't know I mean I think probably part of the story is okay if you uh, you know you won't be respectable if you can't get a husband and you can't get a husband unless you know you're uh, you know you're mutilated Uh, I mean what a story to tell a a little girl you know what a story to Um, tell a little girl but you know is that I mean, it's an extreme story, but aren't we doing a similar story in our culture when we say you have to make your body look a certain way, you have to dress Uh a certain way, your hair's got to look a certain way? It may not involve uh, genital mutilation, but it involves mutilation of the soul and it involves mutilation of self-concept. I mean, we, you know, we like to look at outside our own culture, but I, I think the same thing is kind of happening. I mean, I think we've done the same thing in our own culture. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, breast implants or Botox Mm -hmm. or, you know, the people who get caught up in bulimia and anorexia. uh, I mean, you know, the cosmetic industry is a, you know, a billion, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, you know, all based on uh, trying to have women live up to some patriarchal story. Uh, you know, or idea of beauty uh, because we can never be uh, thin enough or uh, tall enough or whatever it is, you know. I mean, we can never be enough. Uh, But if the stories, you know, if the stories were different, um, you know, it, you know, it goes back to it shapes our culture, you know, good and bad. It shapes our culture. And it is very insidious. And, I mean, I think that – Again, in Carnation, the women are living in a women's society for the most part. They are women who've come uh, to do this kind of underground work of shifting the narrative, and they, they do it in a variety of ways of kind of clearing their own personal stories and then recognizing where the stories in the culture are. Um, but it, it requires detoxing from the cultural images and the cultural narratives. I mean, we're not even, um, you know, providing... Um, a sort of uh, a lexicon for young women growing up to sort of look at the images that they're consuming and saying, do you have any idea how this is affecting you? You know, we're beginning right. to see like, oh, gee, maybe there should be a tax on, on soda pop because it's not so good for the body. But these images do the same thing. Um, they're altered in such a way to, to give you a very false mirror. And it's very hard to look at that. You can't look at them without taking them in. It just isn't, it isn't humanly possible. We are meant we are meant to, to uh, take in imagery. That's part of our human capacity. And when we, when we you know, sort of pass up nature um, and take in advertisements instead, I think we really are taking in something that's very detrimental to our systems. And when we don't reflect it back to other women, their beauty, their uniqueness, their loveliness as they are, it's, it's something that is, uh, I think, really quite profound. Well, and uh, it, it calls to mind um, when Demi Moore was on the front of was it Time or Newsweek and her in her naked bare pregnant belly uh, in the hoopla. Oh, I think it was Vanity that, that, Fair, but yeah, yeah. Oh, Vanity Fair, um, or oh, what was the other one? I was oh thinking of when the plus size models. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean that that was. I mean there was outrage when these size mm-hmm. fourteen women. I mean mm-hmm. size fourteen for heaven's sakes. That's not even huge. You know, it, it's well, it's barely it, it big. Also Marilyn Monroe. I mean we're we're looking at a relatively recent phenomenon because Marilyn Monroe was at least a size fourteen and she was considered to be the icon of sexuality and beauty for a very long time. Right, absolutely. Well, so tell me, um, the the women who went underground in pronation to uh, help sort of seed the new stories, um, did you want to share anything about how they did it or what some of the stories they... Yes, uh, oh, thank st- you. That's a great... Yeah, that's a great question. So in this is the part of the um, that's sort of autobiographical reimagining. So... Essentially, um, the the women that go underground are women who were active in the civil rights movement, and who, when that kind of started to fail, they went to the they went down south and redeposited their kids with their grandmothers and left them there and went off. I mean, the fantasy is they go off into the desert to channel the divine. But meanwhile, one of the young 
children, one of the daughters, who's one of the main characters in the book, Aurelia, um, she's a young teenager and she's quite pissed off because, you know, she got dragged down to the South and thrown in with a bunch of other kids and her grandmother in a life that she really didn't, you know, feature. But she begins to um, go into the barn and paint. And so it's kind of a fictional reimagining of how this sort of expressive art process where you simply paint spontaneously, where you allow images to come to you and through you can begin to instruct you in the truth. And this is something I feel um, my whole sort of career has been about. You know, I was originally worked as a therapist, and then I found that's just too small of a group of people. And then I began teaching these methods to sort of anyone who was willing to learn them. Um, You know, creative self-expression through art imagery is really a very, very revolutionary and freeing and a very subversive process. And so in the in Cronation, Aurelia, who's one of the main uh, architects of Cronation, from the time she's a young teenager, has been kind of channeling these images. And she starts out, you know, by working. Her grandmother had given her a little set of paints, and she starts with little paintings. And by the end, by the time she's grown, she's painted the whole inside of the barn with all of these images that came to her in dreams that have come to her through uh, visiting and through being in nature. And, and that's that's kind of, for me, the sort of subversive core is that if we are willing to, any of us truly, receive our own images, that they are, there's wisdom that will come through each one of us. And it's from really direct expression, whether it's writing, whether it's painting, whether it's dance, whether it's music or vocalizing, that that's the way we will reclaim our stories and find out who we really are. So Aurelia gets connected to the feminine. She gets connected to the source. Um, And this is really, instead of religion and instead of school and instead of all these other things, it's like direct, uh, direct receiving of the truth that we, each individual, need. So not some homogenized truth that comes for the whole culture, but And then as women together, we share those stories, as you were describing your writing class, as we begin to share those stories and hear how they resonate together, we begin to see the larger picture take place. And literally, this is, this is my hope. I mean, this is what I think we need to do. We need to get together and retell stories, but in community together with other, with other like-minded people, with other women, with men who are open to this, but to allow, um, to allow, it's to allow the truth that makes for space to come through us. So, so let me ask you, um, for listeners who are maybe hearing us talk, I mean, obviously anybody can can tell a story or, or rewrite, rewrite a Bible verse, rewrite a myth, you know, uh, but if they wanted to take the art approach, Pat, um, can they mm-hmm. do what you're talking about if they have never had an art course, if they don't know how to draw or paint? I mean, do they have Absolutely. to be able... So how, how does it yes. work if you... I mean, it, it's, in fact, in some ways it's easier to do it, I think, if you don't have those things, which tend to be, uh, tend to constrict us and tell us, well, it has to look like this if it's going to be meaningful. I think uh, the, the work as I see it is to simply make the intention, to state the intention that you wish to have the truth come through you in images and then just literally start moving your hand on a piece of paper with whatever you have available to you. Literally, if it's a ballpoint pen, that's fine. But if you can go to the store and get a little set of paints, 
terrific on your kitchen table. It's literally that simple. It really is. And for that, I would say, you know, for the, because for the background of all of this, I would send people to the website you re- you mentioned earlier, which is studiopardes.org, uh, because it there it's a very simple method. It's it's simply opening yourself to the divine and then moving your hand and seeing what comes through, and then having and really allowing that to speak to you. I have people write in response to the images that they make, and that's called witness writing. And the stories that come through them and the wisdom that comes through them is quite profound. When you do this in a group and you have four or five people doing this, it's really quite a, quite a profound experience. So would I be wrong to assume from what you just said that the picture that you might create um, might be unrecognizable? It might just be a sort of a hodgepodge of color or, uh, I mean, it, or I mean, could it be something like that? You know, just sort of a collage of color. Yes. Um, it might okay. be. So, so it it's not be. like you have to be able to paint a scene. No, you don't have to be able to paint a scene at all. Although I will tell you that what often happens for people, and it's quite surprising to them, I think it's very difficult for someone without uh, technical training to say, I want to paint a landscape that looks like that landscape out there and I'm going to sit down and do that without having some skills that can be hard to do. But when, when one has, uh, when one is painting from inside, very often something quite realistic will come through. It's quite surprising sometimes. Um, I can remember a time when I was painting, uh, doing this picture and I thought, I thought in my thinking mind, Oh, it's this, it's this veiled woman. There should be a snake above her head. And I kept trying to make a snake. I know how to draw a snake. I couldn't get a snake to come on the page. When I let go of that idea, the line that was there turned into the stem of a rose. Now, if I had said to myself consciously, I want to sit down and draw a rose, it would have been much harder. It's a much more complex form, but it simply emerged because that was what was coming through. So what I'm saying is it's a little bit the process really is about, it's a practice of setting aside the ego and allowing the divine to move through us. And literally anyone can do this. It's, I mean, it, it, the divine is waiting, happy to, do, to come through anyone who's willing to allow it to do that. Well, it almost sounds like in a way you're, you're channeling to a, to a certain extent. You know, yeah, I mean, maybe I would, that's well, a, yes. a loaded yeah. word, but, um, well, but I mean, but I think it is, it is. anybody... Practically speaking, yes. Practically speaking, that is what's true. And, and I would say, and this is something, again, where even our, some of our spiritual, I mean, there may be some folks who are very attuned and channel in a particular way, but, but even within our spiritual communities, we've sort of made it seem like that's only the special folks. It's not true. Anyone can channel. The divine will speak through anyone who's willing to allow that to happen. I, 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 well, I believe this because I see it in my work constantly. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can be a 12-year-old child, a 10-year-old. It doesn't matter if you make that intention to allow something to come through you. It will come through. Hmm. Well, if you ever give a, a class like this, I hope you will tell me because I would really love to attend. <laughs> uh, and, yes. and, and, you know, and, and it, it, it's making me think, too, um, oh, God, I, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, oh, the channeling, the pictures. Oh, 
um, where you said anyone can do it. It makes me think about, uh, you know, maybe people who garden. I think maybe that's why people get so much. It, it becomes almost a meditative thing, gardening. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, whenever you're using your hands, you know, I think sometimes mm-hmm. to, to, to make things, you know, whether it be yeah. knitting or maybe you're doing assemblage art or maybe you're, yeah. uh, you know, you're decorating a jean jacket or whatever it is, you know, it's just you go into this zone type space Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know, and and incredible things happen. And and I think that's what you're talking about, except you're using... That's very much what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, I wrote about this as nonfiction um, in my own process and also trying to give people some suggestions about how to do it. And then I thought, you know what? Fiction can potentially reach a lot more people. So kind of putting this out there as an idea that's just sort of in this universe I've created in Cronation, it's just kind of a matter-of-fact thing that people can do this. So it's like I know that if people read this, they will it will seem like a much more normal, natural idea. You don't have to have a coloring book with the pictures already made, and you don't have to have uh, a set of directions that tell you how to do it. It's that potential, the creative expression is a basic human capacity and a basic human right. And that is what will bring the stories back. Because until that, we're, we're, we're imbibing, we're taking into ourselves, we're living the stories that other people have written. And, and there's some wonderful stories out there. So that's not all bad, but, but truly our own stories, uh, the stories of ordinary people is what's going to remake the world. Yeah, I'm thinking everybody needs to go out and buy one of those big packs of Crayolas. <laughs> well, sure, uh, uh, you Crayolas, know, watercolors, it, you know, it, it, whatever yeah. the material is, if you show up with an intention and you open your heart, it will happen, whether literally if you're using a ballpoint pen. Uh, it doesn't matter. And, I, you know, I wonder what you think about this phenomena that we have now. Well, I, I'm calling it a phenomena because I don't know what else to call it. But you know how they're they're using adult coloring books to mm-hmm. you know help people um, calm themselves or yeah. whatever they do. It, it kind of, do you? I'm I'm almost wondering if they are going to that same place too, uh, even if they are maybe uh, coloring in within the lines I think so I mean I do honestly I have a very good friend uh, her name is Deborah Kofchape and she created something called the soul cards with which perhaps you or some of your listeners have heard of they're beautiful very much channeled images that that Deborah made but she teaches people how to um, to make these kinds of images and she's created a set of coloring books that are of these very soulful images and I feel as though for some people it might be a very nice first step because they're safe the images are very soulful and you can fill them in with the colors that are meaningful to you. But just literally spending the time coloring in is very soothing and very much op- begins to open us. And I think um, when you haven't had experience with that, it can be a very pleasant and very safe way to start. And I think it's great. Yeah, I think that's that's terrific. But I also think, you know, if you have a, the if you don't have a color, you don't need to run out and buy a coloring book either. You can literally do it on the back of a grocery bag, um, you know, in your journal, on a piece of paper, you know, out of your computer paper. It doesn't matter what it is. The, the divine will show up to meet you. Okay. 
So, Pat, um, well, you, you've, you've said so much, I think, to inspire listeners, um, but is there more that you would like folks to know about either the process of, of cronation or uh, the story of cronation that I haven't thought to ask you? Well, I, um, the only thing I would say is, you know, I hope that, that – um, I hope that people will read it, and I, I really, my, my grandest uh, desire and dream is that, that people will, as a result of reading it, feel inspired both to write their own story, to tell their own story, and, and to engage in, in expressive, creative work. And I would love to hear from anybody who does that. I mean, I'd love to be in dialogue with people who are willing to, um, to take a stab at this, because really I think this is how we'll, how we'll remake the world. And uh, we need everybody. Well, I would love to see your book be made into a movie. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, because we, we know be cool. how influential. Yeah, I mean, we know how influential, uh, you know, television or movies can be. I mean, look at the the messages in Star Trek. You know, a Gene Gene Roddenberry's, uh, you know, moralistic tales. Or, I, I mean, I I, I credit, uh, I think, you know, television and movies for helping. Uh, you know, gay rights, you know, I mean, uh, being Absolutely. gay just, no, you know. No question. No question. Yeah, no um, question. In fact, I, what I'd love to see is actually a, sh- a short HBO series, a Genji Cohen, if you're listening out there, or Jill Soloway. These are the people, these are the women who I think are telling stories. Orange is the New Black, Transparent. These are stories that are helping to move the shift along in our culture, and that's what I would love. I would love to see. I think, I think putting all the pressure on a movie, it's like only one, you only get one shot. I think it's, I think it's something that needs like a little unfold. Like, it's like six episodes would be great. That's what I'd like to see. So if anybody's okay. out there who does that sort of thing, I would love to hear from them. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're making me think of the movie <laughs> Avatar. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. try to mm-hmm. watch that at, at the beginning of the year, once a year, uh, just oh, to nice. sort of reconnect with the ideas, uh, with the ideas in there. To me, it's not, that's, it's almost like Goddess Church. Uh, you know, yes. to you know, to to watch Avatar. Um, well, I, I think in closing, I just wanted to ask you. You posed this idea: Can organizing a movement around storytelling provide uh, a sustaining way to uh, to work to lessen suffering and increase joy and celebration, and map an alternative to patriarchy? The idea of a storytelling movement—that's pretty creative itself. Well, I would I would love to see it, and someone suggested to me um, that it could be called the Crone Chronicles, like that that somehow like the wisdom of older women, the challenges of younger people, like just telling those through story would be such a nourishing way for us to get to know each other and people who are different from us and people who are the same and who resonate. All of us resonate on that spectrum. So I, I mean. You know, I don't know how it how it might happen. I certainly have that intention out there, and I will be listening for signs and and uh, signs and direction about if if I have a role to play in that. But yeah, I think that's what we need. I do. Well, and you know, I mean, there was such hope that uh, you know Oprah Winfrey's network uh, would you know usher in. I think a new. Uh, a, a new shift, and I don't know. I I, I never I, I never 
could get hooked on it myself. You know, I, I actually never really watched. But, you know, maybe there's more hope with, uh, you know, with Internet television now, uh, you know, than, than on the networks. And, and, and there's something, you know, I keep seeing on Facebook that intrigues me. I just haven't ever had the time to watch it. Uh, I think it's called uh, Gaia TV or Gaia.org or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so anyway, you know, maybe maybe some form of this is actually happening. Uh, it's just, um, you know, it's hard to get traction. It's hard to get exposure, uh, you know, for, for these different type things. But, you know, I think we've proven tonight there's certainly a need, uh, you know, to replace uh, the existing, uh, you know, paradigm with uh, a lot better stories. Well, I think so, and I think literally around the kitchen table making images or, even, or you know, maybe somebody's drawing and somebody's knitting and somebody else is, is embroidering a jean jacket. I think when we get together in those ways and we share food and we share uh, stories over creative work, that that is a very, very powerful and quite subversive uh, way to make change in the world, even though it seems quite, quite simple and ordinary. Well, and remember, when you're doing that, you're in your right brain, right? Absolutely, yes. And you're in your heart. Your heart is open. You know, I mean, there just are lots of things about it that are very, you know, women used to do this years ago at quilting, uh, quilting bees and things like that, where they would simply get together and do some kind of uh, making, making and doing together. And that's when stories got shared and people caught up and they, they began to touch each other's heart. And community gets created in that. And it's both important in the moment but it's also important because then when you need some allies for something in your life there they are they're there they exist so we yeah. need to re- we need to reweave this fabric i think yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, you know, because I, I think, you know, as great as the Internet is and as great as social media and everything can be, uh, I think it's also very isolating. And it works, you know, it really works in both directions. And I think this mm-hmm. bonding that you're talking about, this coming together, is, uh, you know, definitely something uh, I think we're all hurting for uh, because uh, it, it, there's a lot of loneliness out out there there's you know in, in solidarity I mean whether we're talking uh, politically or, or whatever you know it's solidarity uh, that's going to change the world I think and uh, and if you can st- start finding solidarity and you know in, in your quilting bee uh, then <laughs> by all means do it you know or your book club or whatever it is you, mm-hmm. you know you want to do Absolutely. Well, Pat, let's uh, let's mention your websites again. Uh, the first one for the the book, uh, Cronation, C R O N A T I O N dot org, Cronation dot org, and then there's the one for your uh, creative arts uh, therapists and artists work, uh, which is uh, Studio dot com, S T U D I O P A R D E S. Uh, dot com. Um, anything else you want to say uh, before we say goodnight, Pat? Uh, just thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to have this conversation with you. It's really stimulating. And, you know, doing this work you know, as a writer is also quite lonely. So it is very nice to have a chance to have a conversation with someone like you who's also uh, out there building solidarity for these for these ideas. 
So thank you. Oh uh, well, thank you. Well, I've I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed talking to you too. I mean, the show is really a, a guilty pleasure of mine. That's probably why it's gone on for ten years. And uh, you know, I learned so much, and I'm inspired so much by my guests. And um, uh, you know, I, I I think we we stimulate each other. So so thank you too. And uh, and I'm serious. Let's let's meet somewhere in between and uh, do lunch or something sometime. <laughs> I would love to do that. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, Pat, thank you so much. Uh, keep in touch. Uh, let me know how things are going with the book. If anything new comes up, let me know. If you do a class or something like that, uh, let me know that as well. I'll do what I can to help you uh, uh, spread the word. Great. Thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Good night. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, that uh you know that just piqued my uh, my interest in so many different directions, and uh, I know you're all probably laughing at me right now. I'm not an artist, I'm not a painter, but I probably will go out and buy myself a box of Crayolas and uh, and see uh, see what I can make happen. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk about the upcoming Mercury retrograde, but first uh, there's a word from Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This is is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, uh, you were listening there to the trailer for the documentary film, Dancing with Gaia, uh, which is Joe Carson's uh, feature-length film, uh, as I mentioned, a documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddesses Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. Uh, These spiritual sites uh, from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. So if you've always wanted to see them yourself but you haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD, Dancing with Gaia, comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and the booklet for only $20 at dancingwithgaia.com. Definitely a deal. So, um, let's see, if if you're new to the show, uh, you might not know I am actually the author of two books, uh, well, several books, but the two new, the, the two earliest ones, uh, and Joe's, uh, you know, commercial there reminds me, uh, the, you know, the two newest ones are uh, uh, 
Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, uh, which speaks for itself, uh, whether you're an armchair traveler or you actually get out there on the ground. Um, I kind of condensed my travels into this book where you can learn about sacred sites of the divine feminine around the world. You can even drive there. Uh, in fact, you can use Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, uh, to do a West Coast sacred pilgrimage, uh, if that sounds interesting to you. Uh, of course, there are lots of other places in the United States and all around the world in uh, sacred places of goddess. Um, then Goddess Calling, uh, that uh, is, you know, it came out not that long ago. Uh, it offers inspirational readings about why goddess is relevant today. It helps us understand uh, how goddess teachings can be a moral compass as well as uh, meditations that encourage a deepening uh, to a connection to the great she. And, of course, uh, there's the anthology uh, based on the guests who I've interviewed on this radio show. Uh, the anthology is called Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World. It's out there, too, and it's received acclaim because it shows what a big umbrella ideals of the sacred feminine actually are, with contributors like Jean Shinoda Bolin, Noam Chomsky, Rian Eisler, Matthew Fox, for the Roy Bourgeois, Storhawk, Charles Eisenstein, uh, and many uh, more other notable and new voices. And uh, the award-winning Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. Uh, that's the one I forget to talk about, uh, but that one is sort of semi-autobiographical. Uh, it, it's sort of a semi-autobiography. Uh, it talks about uh, how um, goddess entered my life and... Um, uh, how I incorporated goddess spirituality into my life and into uh, the community as the founder of the Isis uh, Ancient Culture Society. Uh, it has prayers and rituals and uh, revelations and magical experiences uh, in the book. Uh, so they're, they're all just a little bit different. Uh, I hope you might uh, check those out um, at my website, Karen Tate. Uh, it's always great uh, when folks buy the books directly from me, uh, and uh, you know that helps me out some. But, of course, you can find all of them in the usual places uh, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, places like that. Uh, but, you know, whenever you get a chance, it's always best to give your support to local bookstores or, or the authors directly, you know, rather than supporting a multinational corporation like, uh, like Amazon. So, um, I mentioned we were going to talk a little bit about uh, Mercury Retrograde, uh, which actually started uh, Tuesday, so yesterday. Um, for those of you that, that don't know much about Mercury Retrograde, uh, I am not an astrologer, but I can tell you from experience that when you're in the time of Mercury Retrograde, it is not the time to usually sign contracts or start new projects. Uh, instead, it's the time to uh, kind of marinate on things, to um, maybe make plans uh, rather than actually put something into action. And this Mercury Retrograde, which started yesterday, is going to go through the 20th or 21st of September. And uh, I stumbled onto a website uh, called Wisdom Bits, and uh, it's it's written by um, 
Lily. Uh, she calls herself a professional psychic and empath uh, and relationship therapist. Uh, you can find her site at wispy, W-H-I-S-P-Y.com. And uh, she's talking a little bit about this particular Mercury retrograde. Um, she said... Um, that Mercury entered its pre-shadow in Virgo on August 10th. The third Mercury retrograde of 2016 uh, occurs in Virgo. It started August 30th, and it goes direct in Virgo on September 22nd. So in other words, Mercury retrograde started August 30th, and we're done with it September uh, 22nd. And um, she says, that um hang on just a second let me oh you know what this did not i did not print exactly what i hoped it would print so i apologize for that um oh yeah this you know, she she says that uh, the upcoming August-September retrograde will be all about uh, getting the details right, getting the details right. Um, so, you know, it's kind of what I was uh, I was telling you before. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's the time for planning. It's not the time for uh, for actually starting a new project. But if you go to uh, her website. Uh, as I said, on wispy.com, uh, she's got this uh, wisdom bits. She tells you for each uh, astrological sign uh, what you should plan for. Uh, she says forewarned is for. Armed, um, and of course, I read mine. My, uh, you know, I'm a Virgo, so uh, she uh, was telling me how to uh, ride out this particular this particular Mercury retrograde, and uh, you can go there and um, and find out as well. And I apologize. I thought I had a little bit more information than this, um, but I don't. So. Uh, maybe next Wednesday I will uh, I will do a better job of printing and uh, and share more of this uh, with you, uh, or you can do it yourself. Um, you know, between now and then. But the important thing to know is it started yesterday. It ends uh, September 21st, and uh, it's a, it, you know it's just a time to uh, you know be a little bit careful. Um, you know, communications tend to go astray. Uh, maybe you have to take a little bit more uh, time and effort to make sure you're making yourself clear and people are actually understanding you. Uh, because it's typical during a Mercury retrograde, that's when, um, you know, communication tends to fall apart. Uh, and obviously that's why you don't want to you know, go sign a contract on a new lease for your car or sign a mortgage or, um, you know, sign a, um, you know, in a, you know, some sort of an employee contract or something like that if you can help it. Um, you know, maybe you don't want to quite send your book to the publisher yet because uh, maybe you might have missed something. You know, instead, um, you know, give that manuscript uh, a second or a third going over uh, to make sure you uh, – you know, you have it all right. So, yeah, 
uh, there's a lot you can find on Mercury Retrograde online, uh, but I just wanted to make sure you knew that uh, it has started uh, as of yesterday. Okay, well, um, that about uh, brings tonight to a close, uh, but I would like to ask, uh, as, I, uh, as I occasionally do, um, for your support. Uh, if you enjoy the kind of programming that I've been bringing you here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine uh, for the last 10 years, uh, I hope you will uh, reach out to me with, um, you know, with some monetary support, uh, because Blog Talk is not free to hosts like me. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we see how important it is to uh, create the new stories, to talk about the new things we want to manifest, uh, because without these ideas, without this sharing of wisdom, uh, you know, we feel isolated and alone, and it's uh, so much harder uh, to manifest that new normal. So if uh, if, if you value the show, um, your con- contributions are needed and welcome. And uh, I hope you will go to my website, uh, KarenTate.com, go to the Goddess Store page. I've made it very easy. Uh, at the very bottom of the page, there are PayPal buttons. Uh, and uh, you can make a contribution of any amount. And as I said, it would be uh, greatly appreciated and very much needed. Well, that about does it uh, for tonight, dear listeners. Uh, Just remember uh, what you support and nurture. uh, It thrives, and what you neglect, it withers. And, uh, you know, that's the case whether you're talking about your garden uh, or your friendships. Uh, or, um, you know, anything in your life. You have to support it, uh, in, or one day it, uh, you know, it could fizzle out or and disappear. So um, I think there's another saying, um, something about you, uh, oh, what is it? You contribute to the spring that feeds you. Uh, something along those lines. So uh, be sure the the people in your life that um, uh, that nourish you, that support you, uh, that mean a lot to you, make sure you take the time uh, to let them know. Uh, it is very important, you know, because sometimes we assume uh, people know that we appreciate them or we have gratitude for them. And, um, you know, maybe they don't. You know, so I think it's incumbent upon us to uh, to really extend ourselves and uh, you know tell the people in our lives that uh, that make our lives worth living, that uh, do good things for us, uh, just how important uh, they they are to us. Uh, maybe send a, a thank you note to a mentor or a friend uh, who did something nice for you. Um, you know, maybe do something for the you know for the lady down the street who. Uh, uh, you know, maybe our social security check doesn't uh, doesn't cover uh, through the end of the month. Um, you know, it would be nice to, you know, maybe bake her a casserole sometime. And uh, you know, especially if she's, um, you know, she's someone that that treated you nice when you were a child, or uh, you know, helped you out. All right. Well, I think uh, we shall call it a night. Uh, I certainly want to say thank you to um, 
uh, well, before I before I do call it a night, I want to say thank you to Ava Park and the priestesses of the Goddess Temple, uh, who uh, threw a wonderful. A birthday bash for me at the at the Goddess Temple on Sunday. Uh, I, you know, they are the women who really inspired me to uh, say what I just did, uh, because they really went out of their way to show their love and appreciation and their gratitude. And I know how it touched my heart. So I'm just saying, you know, let's all pay it forward. When someone does something nice for us, let's make sure they know about it, and let's make sure we pay it forward. Okay, dear listeners, uh, I think that will uh, do it for me for tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show uh, with uh, Pat Allen, um, Retelling the Future, What Stories Are We Telling? And I hope you'll go look for her new novel, Cronation, C-R-O-N-A-T-I-O-N. She sure piqued my curiosity with the book, and uh, I'm sure she's piqued yours as well, uh, Creating the New Normal. I think that is exactly what we are all here to do. So uh, we will go ahead and um, close uh, with Abigail Spitter McBride uh, the way we opened, and I hope you'll be back with me next Wednesday. Good night. Sing through my